Hello and welcome to this special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series, Reflections on the Screw Tape Letters. I'm Father Adam Potter, a priest in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, and today is our first day where we reflect on the preface and the first letter of C.S. Lewis's great work, the Screw Tape Letters. Gosh, I don't know about you, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this for a while and I've been looking forward just to dive in, so thanks for being here. I'm excited to journey with you in this great work. This was something that was proposed to me recently and uh, for me to pick it back up again, to dive in and just kind of have my whole mind and heart captured by a glimpse at the other side of the spiritual battle has been really good for me and helpful. And I hope this time can be good for you too, uh, to be able to Read each chapter, one chapter a day on your own, and then to tune into this podcast to be able to, to dive in and help to understand it, integrate it, and ponder more deeply on these spiritual truths. So can we start with some spiritual truths? One of the things uh, recently that's been capturing my mind and imagination has been looking up at the stars. I had a chance recently to go out hiking with some friends where there was zero pollution and it got to be night or camping outside and looking up and just being blown away at seeing the whole sky lit up with stars, right? And on the one hand, just feeling overwhelmingly small looking out at just like the galaxy and all the stars. And then there's like seeing the Milky Way, right, from one side of the sky to the other. And just there's even more, a highly concentration of stars. And then the moon comes out and, right, it's like, God, you are awesome. How you just arrange all the different stars and the planets and keep us here and this ability to be in awe and wonder of it. Do you know how many stars there are? <laughs> a lot, right? There are a lot of things. There are approximately 100 billion stars in our galaxy, which is more than the mind can really comprehend, you know? And then you just wonder, well, how many galaxies are there? And scientists estimate that there are about 100 billion galaxies, each with their own 100 billion stars. And so I thought I was feeling very small, right? Looking up at the stars and then learning that, I just realized, oh, like it's even more massive and grand that I could ever imagine. And and here's this thing that I was thinking about, right? Like with all of the grandeur of God's nature, what about the supernature, the spiritual? How many angels do you think there are? How many angels, right? If God can make a hundred billion times a hundred billion stars, how many angels can he create? And would he not stop at that? Like why would he why would he? stop? Why wouldn't he keep going and to create more? And this is what we believe, right? That as massive and expansive as God is in creation, the physical creation, he's the same equally, if not more so with the supernatural and the spiritual. So considering all of the billions upon billions of angels that are out there that God created, and we know the story, right? The story that is recounted to us through scripture is that there was one angel Lucifer, light bearer, one of the highest of angels, who in a glimpse of God's creation and plan for creation, creating man and desiring to become incarnate, rejected and refused to be a part of that plan that like 
that great scandal that God would become man was too much for him. And so he revolted. And Revelation talks about Satan grabbing a third of the angels with him to rebel against God and his angels. And there was one angel, the great archangel Michael, who stood up against Satan. And remember the Revelations 12, this great battle broke out. And here we have, right, this spiritual battle, good versus evil. And Michael is given by God the power to cast Satan out of heaven. But where does he go? Do you remember where Satan goes? Gosh, Revelations 12, 9 says that the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, which should echo back to Genesis whenever Adam and Eve were in the garden. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Right, so sometimes we think, oh yeah, yeah, we're on earth, this is like neutral, safe ground, and, and Satan, he's down in hell. Uh-uh, not according to the scriptures. It says that he was thrown down to earth along with his fallen angels. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober and alert. Your, de- the, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking for souls to devour. Is this the way we think about life? <laughs> that... There are demons, there are devils looking for souls to devour. This is the biblical vision, right? And this is where our first parents, Adam and Eve, are thrown into this drama where the only thing that demons now have to be able to satisfy them or bring them any delight is to bring other souls away from God's infinite, perfect love and into the misery of being separated from him. And so, gosh, it's just... Here we are. We're talking about the spiritual reality. We're talking about the battle. And yeah, what do we think about that? Here we have C.S. Lewis inviting us to really consider this battle as being real and to place our own selves in it. Where is the evil one trying to trick us up? That yes, we have a guardian angel assigned to us. Have we ever considered that we have a demon assigned to us as well? It's working to plant lies, to play tricks, and to distract us from what is good, true, and beautiful, and to bring us away, maybe inch by inch, away from the king. So in this great book, The Screwtape Letters, we have Screwtape, who is a senior demon, writing to his junior understudy, Wormwood. And there he's trying to tell this junior devil how to take us out. And Lewis's goal is really to turn things upside down and give us a behind-the-scenes look at the evil one's mindset. So if you've read the first chapter already, you know that everything's flipped upside down, right? The enemy is God, and our father below is Satan. And what's described as good or joyful is actually bad and evil and miserable. There's the inverse of a hierarchy versus the lower-archy. And we'll get through through to some of these other ones too. One that I appreciated most that C.S. Lewis was talking about was human vermin. And this is in relation to us as beloved sons and daughters. And he just, uh, Screwtape can't understand how the enemy loves these human vermin. So it's dark, right? We're going on an intense journey. And C.S. Lewis talked himself about at the end of writing these 31 chapters, these 31 letters, 
that he needed a detox by the end of it, almost to wash his brain from so much time spent thinking about the enemy's mindset. Right? It's dangerous to enter into the mentality, the way of thinking of the evil one. There's an idea that says that we become what we contemplate. And so, yeah, there's this story of a little bit of background of this that J.R.R. Tolkien told Lewis not to write this. He said, don't go deep into the mind of the enemy. To which Lewis went ahead uh, to dedicate this book to Tolkien to say, I did it. Uh, And I don't think he would have wanted to go one more further, but that's what he did. So let's dive in a little bit for this first section to the preface and the the first chapter. Hopefully you got a, a good taste of the whole thing. First, just three points on the preface that is good for us to appreciate. So Lewis talks about there being two errors with regard to devils or demons, right? The the one error is to disbelieve in their existence. They're not real. They're just made up. They're fairy tales or um, we over-psychologize them, right? It's that's like evil personified. That's what the devil is. The other error is to believe an excessive and unhealthy interest in them to believe that they're everywhere and all, all powerful kind of a thing. And both errors are celebrated by the devil himself, right? Because either one kind of misses the truth of, of who he is. C.S. Lewis says in that second paragraph of the preface, readers are advised to remember that the devil is a liar. Not everything that Screwtape says should be assumed to be true even from his own angle. So notice the depth of really where we're going in this intense journey that we are going to be as if listening to the conversation of a demon that isn't out there to tell the truth, right? Because truth comes from God. So he's out there to tell lies and to distract and to deceive even to his own undersecretary, Wormwood that he's who he's writing to. So we need to have that mindset whenever we go into it and we're reading. It's not necessarily true. Uh, The last thing, I just kind of appreciated this as a kind of a sense of humor, but Lewis talks about how apparently he was receiving some criticism about the ordering, the chronology of the letters And so C.S. Lewis is receiving this criticism, and he says, The history of the European war, except insofar as it happens now and then to impinge upon the spiritual condition of one human being, was obviously of no interest to screw tape. So here he's receiving this criticism, and he says, Yeah, you know what? Screw tape doesn't care. (laughs) He wasn't interested in the chronology and the exact ordering of the whole thing. Um. Great. So that's the preface, and that really launches us into this first letter. Uh, here are maybe three three takeaways from it that, that I think are helpful. I'll, I'll call these three tactics to be emphasized, what screw tape emphasizes to Wormwood. First of all, he advises Wormwood to avoid arguments. This is one of the the key lines of the whole first letter. He says, the trouble about argument is that it moves the whole struggle onto the enemy's ground. 
right? So do you get that? So to avoid arguing, why? He says, because it awakens the patient's reason. What is reason? It's this faculty that God gave us in our mind to consider what's real, what's true. And so, well, Wormwood is obviously thinking, how can I convince them to be a materialist? A materialist, right? It's a philosophy that says the only thing that's real is that which is material or physical. Sometimes I think about materialism as just um, wanting a lot of material things in the world. And that's kind of just, it's just, it's valuing only the material, not seeing anything beyond what can be measured, evaluated, or put under a, a microscope. And so here's Wormwood saying, I need to argue so that he can become a materialist, which will bring him away from God. And Scroop Tape is saying, don't worry about materialism. You got to get out of arguing because arguing now brings him into actually thinking about what's true or not true. So just distract him from that and bring him to jargon, all these incompatible philosophies that he can think about in his mind and kind of entertain, but not actually applying them in any concrete way. Do you see this in our world at all? Gosh, I don't know about you, but in the media or just conversations that I have, there's no time for real questions. Like, well, what about this? Or why is why are you saying this? Or just thinking about debates. How often debates just kind of crumble very quickly in terms of, well, that's good for you, but this is good for me. And, or just like heated arguments, different attacks and not actually agreeing that there is something that's true and let's pursue it together. So yeah, thinking about in media and to have a journalist that's able to really ask good questions to get underneath, like, well, here's the talking point or here's what is being presented. That's hard to find these days. I think about sports. There used to be a time whenever sports were presented as this is what happened last night. Um, the pirates played this game and, and they lost by a score of 12 to three. And you're like, Oh, great. Who played well? And now all you have is not what actually happened, but you have analysts reacting to what happened. It's all their emotions. It's all their hot takes, first takes of what their experience was of the thing. And notice what's happened. We are just getting more and more separated from the real, from the true. Like how in the world do we have 24-hour news stations? Like there's not 24 hours worth of things happening, but there's 24 hours worth of jargon out there, 24 hours worth of opinions and emotions being thrown back and forth, debating not actually about what's true, about who has the stronger emotions. This is scary. This is scary. I think we know this, but for me, this uh, first chapter really hit on that. So that's the first arg- the first tactic. Avoid arguments because arguments bring the whole struggle on the enemy's ground. The second tactic is to emphasize the ordinary over the extraordinary, the familiar over the unfamiliar. Right? So this was captured in that sad story of the patient in the English Museum. So patient, that's what the demons will call us, The that the demons are attributed or assigned to. And so here in this patient in the English Museum, he's having this moment of considering something of God, something of the eternal, something of the divine. 
And here he starts to think about it. And all of a sudden, the screw tape admits, I knew that I couldn't go to actually arguing against the movement of the patient's mind. So instead, I suggested lunch. <laughs> Which I don't know, for me, who's largely driven by his stomach and thinking about, man, when's the next uh, meal coming? This hits close to home, you know? Like to think about these different moments of thinking about the Lord, his love, his mercy, and gosh, in our humanity, we're so poor. And it's, I need to eat, I'm thirsty, I need to go to the bathroom, or I'm tired, and right, all of these things. And are these the ways the evil one loves to distract us? Now, sometimes they are just our bodily need. <laughs> yes, but that the evil one can use them and to say, you'll have time later. You'll have time later. And what happens later? Yeah, we forget altogether or have moved on to the next thing. So that's the second tactic, emphasizing um, the ordinary over the extraordinary. Keep him thinking about lunch or these other uh, tasks that he has. The third tactic is that demons don't teach, ration, or argue. Demons distract. These are kind of related, but yeah, just that, that last part of this first chapter I thought was really interesting. And the idea that demons don't teach, right? Appealing to principles or concrete thoughts but it's all about distracting us from real life and a screw tape says don't let them ask what real is keep pressing on them the ordinariness of things so i don't know about about you there's a ton of distractions that are in our world today and to really consider how how do we fight these battles how do we keep our minds on these principles that no matter what the emotions, what the hot takes or what the popular opinion might be, that we can really be grounded in the ways of the Lord. Um, great. So a couple questions to consider here. I thought there was an interesting reference to the incarnation on the in the middle of this chapter where Screwtape talks about the abominable advantage of the enemy. Did you catch that? This abominable advantage. And what's he referring to? This is a reference to the incarnation, that the demons are pure spirit. And so they're at a disadvantage to God who actually became man. And this is a huge advantage. There's this great um, part in the scriptures, Hebrews chapter 2, where uh, the, the author classically known as, or traditionally known as Paul, writing to the Hebrews, talks about the advantage that God has in becoming man because he had to be made like his brethren in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make expiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered and been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. That's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. So notice how encouraging that is for us, right? That, gosh, as diabolical as Satan can be in the tactics of, of the demons, they are at a great disadvantage to God who entered into our humanity, into our flesh, and into our brokenness 
so that he might have an even greater capacity to relate to us and to work with us, to save us. So that's that's really helpful because maybe this first this first chapter can seem really, really dark. And especially with this podcast, gosh, father, what the heck? Um, great. <laughs> a second question to, to consider is in those two errors that Lewis talks about in terms of the, the devils, one is disbelieving their existence or overbelieving. I guess maybe just as we start off to consider where do we, where do we fall in that? Do we, what do we believe? about demons. And and that will, will help us, I guess, to, to really cons- consider, yeah, how we grow through this and allow this, um, this reading to emphasize and to influence us. So, great. How about the story of the guy in the museum? Just a question to consider. How can Satan use common distractions to create detours in the course of our daily lives to keep us away from where we really need to be? how the Lord's calling us to be faithful and to trust in him. And finally, Screwtape advises Wormwood to keep pressing home on him the ordinariness of things. So maybe a good question too for us to ponder is, do we have any comfort zones in our Christian walk that we need to be cautious of? Right, those really loving the ordinary, just like, oh, I feel comfortable here. I feel strong here. I, I know what I'm doing here. And are those keeping us from being uncomfortably challenged by God's spirit, calling us to deeper purification, trust in him, and ultimately a greater love. So this was a bit, a little bit longer of a podcast covering the, the preface in this first chapter, but I uh, just want to say what a gift it is to be departing off on this journey with you. Um, some advice as you go through is don't get discouraged. Sometimes the language and the imagery is kind of uh, hard or complicated. I hope this podcast can work to encourage you and explain some of those things. One of the things that's been helpful for me is to read it out loud, out loud and not in a, an overly evil voice. <laughs> just, just to read it out loud helps to um, comprehend a little bit better. And then don't be discouraged if you miss a day. You can catch up the following day or do two on the weekend because there's no new episode on Sunday. I'll just be releasing episodes every weekday um, starting today and going all the way to Holy Thursday. Thank you for joining us for this special podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. If you'd like to support the work of Dry Bones Ministries, please visit drybonespgh.org. God bless you all. I'll see you tomorrow.